Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. 9 let it be said we don't do what we say we do. We talk anything but footy on this podcast and on this channel. And so, when an email dropped into our inbox at the end of last year, with details of Scotland's winning sports governing body of the year, we thought we'd find out more. I'm Michael. And I'm John, and this is Great British Bosses, the behind-the-scenes conversation of British sport. And I'll be honest, like Michael, I know pretty much diddly squat about this Olympic sport, but it's the second biggest sport in Germany, and it's the reason why the outstanding copper box at Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park was built. My name is Ewan Hunter, I'm the CEO of the Scottish Handball Association. Hi, my name is Julia Stanhouse, and I'm the Operations Manager at the Scottish Handball Association. You and Julia, it's great to have you both on Great British Bosses. First of all, congratulations on the award. 7th of December was the big date, the Scottish Sports Awards, the big event. Ewan, what does that mean to you? Um, Thank you. The award itself, I think, is a recognition of a huge team effort um, on behalf of everybody involved in Scottish handball. I know it's 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 a, a trope well used um, across uh, sports and, and other kind of award ceremonies. But in this case, I don't think it could be any truer um, because uh, it really is recognition of all the hard work from a really small but dedicated uh, team of people, not least of which, uh, you know, Julia, who, who's joining me today, um, because we got that award um, when the team was two and a half in size. Um, we have recently doubled now um, to four and a half. Um, so we are, uh, you know, we're on a growth trajectory, um, but we're still tiny. Um, however, we, we do rely heavily on that network of volunteers and others who, who give so much. So what the award has done for us is really supercharge that visibility of, of handball. It's fantastic, wonderful, um, enormous sport in many, many parts of the world. Uh, and we are uh, anxious to do our bit to create more of that here. And Julia, I'll bring you into the conversation. What is it then that a a governing body actually does? Because we hear about NGBs and governing bodies and we know that there's this myriad maelstrom of organisations that run sport in this country. So what is it you actually do as a governing body? 
That is a good question, Michael. I think the question should be, what do we don't, what we don't do, I think. But yeah, we um, kind of run in terms of the sort of organisation of uh, everything to do with the kind of governance, uh, organisation of leagues, competitions, membership. Um, and we kind of have a strand that we look at kind of our digital media um, strategy, trying to push the visibility um, of handball. So I think we're, we're the people that keep everybody else in line, I think is maybe how our volunteers and players would see us. Um, but we, we see ourselves more as a kind of a springboard for, for everyone else in the sport. And Julia, you've been targeting young people right across Scotland. I think you've trained more than 600 coaches. Um, how, how many people play handball? And, and, and these numbers sound quite large to me. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of our playing membership, we have about 400 to 500 playing members, um, including youth um, and adult members. Recreationally, there will be more, um, but those numbers are within the kind of uh, after school clubs and recreational clubs across Scotland. Um, but yeah, so we, we've kind of been on a bit of a mission to um, make the majority of schools in Scotland um, aware and, and uh, facilitate them with the skills to be able to um, take handball sessions, whether it's their sports leaders or their PE staff, um, and giving them the skills to be able to deliver handball as a kind of introductory um, sport and potentially one for the kind of curriculum um, within their PE courses. So yeah, um, I think in terms of our, our year calendar, year 20, 22 will have reached a thousand um sort of staff slash sports leaders slash participants um within the introductory coaching course and um, that we offer currently free of charge so yeah we're, re- we're really getting into the roots of the the school system and that's what we're kind of aiming that our growth to stem from and Ewan, obviously now coming in as as CEO, in some ways, do you think COVID has been a bit of a kind of cutoff point? It's a place where we could restart and actually everything ground to a halt. But actually now you can go and approach these schools and say, well, actually, here's a sport that you might want to get involved in. And it's really kickstarting something new. I think that's a, a really good point, John. We've certainly taken a, a very positive approach um, to that opportunity when I was at the World Championship Finals there just at the weekend in, in Stockholm. We were inside um, the Tele2 Arena uh, in, in Stockholm, 23,000 people in there watching handball at the highest level. Denmark beat France in the, in the final. It's a hugely strong sport across Europe. But what you've got is fiercely competitive sport on the court. We are a contact sport. Um, so, you know, there's no shying away from that. This is a physical game, but at the same time, it's a, a really good, strong family atmosphere. So many children in the audience um, really loving it. And uh, and again, part of the culture of handball is that you go on the court, you compete really hard, but you, you know, you shake hands. We actually have a, a tradition in handball, of uh, which you may have seen when you've watched it, Michael, of players uh, after the game, um, you know, effectively kind of high-fiving each other from both teams in lines. And, you know, I'm trying to describe that for a a listening audience. Um, But the point is that um, it's built into the culture of handball that everybody, um, you know, kind of hugs and congratulates each other at the end of every game. And that translates into the into the wider culture of the sport. And when you and we consider this policy, this initiative to target young people and get the game into schools... I went to a rugby school. I played rugby for years and years. I reported on rugby for years and years. I go to lots of rugby matches. I don't know the rules. I still don't know the rules of rugby. I don't understand it. I watch it on the television. Handball 
when you watch that, in terms of that getting into young people, it's quite a simple concept. It's quite a simple game, I guess, to pick up, which must be one of the attractions. Absolutely. At the high end of the sport, there are decisions that are based on the most finite judgments. Um, and again, one thing for your listeners that if they've never watched handball, um, we all have always had two referees on the court at the same time. So there are um, there are two referees and the, the referees um, basically take up positions um, opposite each other uh, so that every angle is covered um, or as much as possible every angle is covered um, uh, and the referees are in contact with each other um, through headphones, particularly again at the kind of highest level of the sport. It, it makes the decision making much better, um, can I just say, but equally your point about the simplicity of it, the accessibility of uh, handball is is incredible. All you need to know is there's seven players on each team. You have to bounce the ball after three steps um, and pass it or, uh, or pass it or bounce it. Um, and to score a goal, you shoot past a goalkeeper into a net, um, and you're not allowed to set foot in the goalkeeper's area, much like five-a-side football. So we often describe it to people as if you know what five-a-side football is but you but you pass the ball to hand instead of to feet um, and you've got to bounce the ball like you do in basketball at, at that really base level yes there's lots of intricate complicated um, rulings and referee decisions that um, that come in um, but you know I was sitting next to some of the most experienced people in the world um, in handball watching um, some of the games at the weekend and you know, they're going, I don't know why the referee made that decision, but hey, the referee made that decision and, and that's, you know, everybody gets behind it. And that, again, is the culture of the sport. But one one other point I would make, you know, you said you went to a, a rugby school, so you grew up with, with rugby. Um, you know, we are deliberately talking to, to our colleagues across other um, sports governing bodies, uh, you know, could look to bring handball in as part of their training regime, could could use a handball game as part of the development um, activity because there's lots of evidence to show that the physical and mental um, benefits of the way that handball is played is, is really powerful. It's also really supportive to other sports. So, uh, as I say, a second string to our strategy is to also aim to ensure that um, we are the sport that other sports play in between. And Julia, what is the setup then? If you've got a young person that wants to play handball, are there leagues, are there cups, are there teams that people can join? Is there a Scottish national team that is competing in European championships and world championships that people can aspire to be a part of? Yeah, so um, in terms of the first kind of steps, if you were um, a child that was interested in playing handball, um, we have um, approximately like eight to ten kind of community clubs across the sort of central belt um, in in Scotland, whether it be a youth or a kind of senior that has a sort of slightly a youth programme. Um, the first kind of steps would be um, they would be taking part in an after school club um, that would come through. We have a setup called Active Schools um, and we work with them in a lot of local authority areas um, to get kind of give them resource and support to be able to set up these kind of after school clubs and potentially after school clubs then develop into a youth club. And then if you progress um, and you want to play for your senior teams, the majority of our youth clubs that we have also have senior sections um, and they take part in our, again, our national leagues at the moment. Um, we do have a kind of development league for the male side, but um, on the on the 
women's side is is less developed at the moment so we currently just have the one um, national league that the our um senior women across scotland take part in um but we also support um the university setup they have their own leagues within the universities in scotland and um, so again quite a lot of the players go between playing for the university and playing um for their community club we recently rebooted our national team program so within handball in scotland currently in international competition you play as great britain um, and that's the pathway um, in all international competition and something that was part of our governing body of the year award it was mentioned by the judging panel um, was that our kind of reboot of the of the Scottish national team programme which also has a, a, a youth element to it that's been going on for quite a long time so lots of opportunities to get involved in handball so if you know of anyone that wants to get wants to take part uh, then there's lots of opportunities for them to get involved. Well, we're talking to Julia Stenhouse, Operations Manager, and Ewan Hunter, CEO of the Scottish Handball Association on Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic podcast. I actually wanted to ask you, Ewan, following on from what Julia said, what relationship do you have with British handball, or is actually the Scottish Handball Association leading the way in this country? So, obviously, the Scottish Handball Association is um, the governing body for, for handball in Scotland. In England, it is England Handball, and our friends at England Handball are doing a brilliant job. So I will give a big shout out to Mike and the team there. There is then a body called the British Handball Association. There are two shareholders in the British Handball Association, Scottish Handball and England Handball. Uh, And as Julia said, at international recognition, teams will play as as GB. That is uh, as a direct consequence of London 2012. Um, because uh, there was the opportunity to have a, a handball team. Um, handball is a long-standing Olympic sport. Um, we have the European Handball Federation, and then we have the International Handball Federation, um, much in the way that um, we have a FIFA and UEFA in football. And so Scotland and England both dropped from full members of the European Handball Federation to associate, um, and that full member status was then given to the British Handball Association. And so there are conversations about Commonwealth um, Games uh, participation. That is one avenue. Scotland uh, and England work really, really well together. We collaborate um, on lots of things. Obviously, we do come together then as part of the GB programme. Uh, and, you know, Scottish athletes are represented there for sure. But, you know, in conjunction with that, we are uh, actively now growing our own uh, National Academy programme as well. One of the reasons why we started this podcast, because we do think the British, English, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland sporting system is one of the most intriguing sporting <laughs> systems that, they, that, that anyone would ever come up with. I think if you if you set it down now and said, well, let's come up with how we structure sport, we wouldn't do it this way. But we are where we are. And you and just on that British curling, for example, you represent Great Britain at curling at the Olympics. But the teams, Bruce Moe. Uh, who we who we know, of course, um, plays yeah. for Scotland for, for yeah. curling in the European Championships. So it is doable, but it's just yeah. for you guys at handball at the moment. It's just it hasn't been agreed, or it's not it's, it's not it's not available. Uh, yeah, we just structure it differently. Um, I think it would be a really interesting, um, you know, way to, to to do it, but it's not how um, you know British handball is, uh, has has been structured. So you and let's talk about. 2012 and, and legacy we know as as a host nation um team gb were able to enter a british team in handball in volleyball in basketball not sports that traditionally um they would obviously have have involvement at an olympic level was yeah. there 
a missed opportunity after that that with the the correct setup the correct funding that that handball in this country could have gone on it just seemed a bit strange a bit upsetting to just dismantle that for those three team sports that I mentioned for example you know I think I think there's a, a, a much bigger structural conversation of course which is exactly what you're alluding to Michael around the nature of sports funding and of course the idea that um, you link sports funding to medal outcomes um, is um, on the one hand understandable and on the other hand really not very logical at all and um, particularly for sports um for for our sport for basketball for for uh, you know volleyball other sports where you know perhaps a, a gb representative team does not have the history of um success does not have the culture so the idea of putting a, a, a team gb together for london 2012 um was fantastic but um uh, for its success to be predicated upon medal return was never ever going to have any hope of um of achieving that kind of aim it's simply not possible when the culture of handball it really doesn't um you know or hardly exists it does exist a little but it's it's very very um small as as we've alluded to on a positive side london 2012 certainly did have a bounce in terms of people's interest and it raised the profile but from a funding point of view um you know I know from colleagues that, um, you know, unquestionably uh, it it did not um, kind of provide the sustainable pathway that I think um, with a little bit more thoughtfulness around what we were actually trying to do would have would have created a lot bigger legacy, actually. You know, positives, the, the, the captain of the GB women's handball team is Lynn McCafferty. She is one of our coaches here in Scotland. Um, and, um, you know, I... Uh, she, along with many others, um, have taken that experience uh, and really used that to help grow and promote um, and inspire um, more more handball. Um, I think, as you uh, alluded to, uh, you know, in the question, was there ways that that could have been done better? I think unquestionably, yes. Um, and I think we've been learning a lot of those lessons ever since. And Julia, when you talk about all those young people that you're introducing to your brilliant sport that was such an attraction in the Copper Box at 2012. It really did capture the public imagination. When my kids watch Wimbledon, they want to go out and hit a tennis ball. When they watch the Olympics, they want to try gymnastics. How important would it be for your young people that you're working with to perhaps have that opportunity to see a British team at an Olympic level again or, or a Commonwealth Games level, as you as you mentioned, as Scotland? Yeah, I think hugely hugely important to have that visibility um and generally for accessibility of seeing the sport as well um you know many people now don't actually appreciate the handball is an olympic sport because gb doesn't have a team in the current olympic pathway um that the the way that the rights are done through um you know whichever company gets the rights to show the olympics um, they only have a certain number of sports that they can show. I think that was definitely a talking point from the last um, Olympics. The actual visibility of the sport as a whole has disappeared um, since London 2012 because, because of the absence of the team. 
But saying that, um, in terms of our GB setup at the moment, we we normally have um, quite a few. I think probably in the larger term, if you look at how many Scottish players get selected for GB teams, I think that we have quite a big ratio um, in terms of our Scotland players that end up in current GB squads. Um, they're doing fantastically well at the moment and we're getting trying to give them as much coverage as we can, and especially our Scottish players. But the GB teams as a whole, because we're building new audiences, building new channels, um, you know, like our TikTok channel, for example, we introduced last year. TikTok handball and TikTok seems to go really well together. So that's something that we're we're kind of focusing on and trying to giving our Scottish athletes and GB as a whole more more airtime. Um, our GB team, uh, the under twenties, um, they're off to Costa Rica in March to play in the IHF Intercontinental Trophy, which is a history making. Uh, tournament for Jeep for the youth team of GB. We've got men's seniors who just won um, their European qualifiers for the men's 2026 EHF tournament. So there's a huge amount going on with GB at the moment, which I think for the majority of the population is behind the scenes. But we're working really, really hard to try and increase that visibility, especially with our new audiences of young people. But until we can get it on terrestrial TV and showing that, um, then we still have quite a quite a bit to go. Well, TikTok may be the future, uh, Julia. So uh, how many people will sit down and watch television as we move forward in uh, in years to come? We'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. But it sounds like you're doing the right thing. Well, I've got a couple of more questions before we wrap up, but I can't believe we've been through this podcast and Michael hasn't mentioned he's seen handball. How, how, how have we got through this podcast without him mentioning it? Michael, come on quickly. Give us the story. Olympics 2012, Copper Box. I had tickets for the semi-finals, And the reason I had the tickets for the semi-finals is my best friend and I decided we were going to the ballot and try and get as much as we could. And whatever we got, we would share. He got the men's 100 metres athletics final with Usain Bolt. I got no the handball way. semi-finals. Um, so well, you, on, you, you were winning, Michael. I, <laughs> I got the better end of the deal. The, the footnote to that story is it was also the same night as the men's 200 metres final. So we were able to watch the handball semi-final. And then as we came back out into the park, Usain Bolt was on the big screen, which was kind of the second best place in the world if you weren't in the actual stadium to watch it so yes i have seen um olympic handball and as i said i mean it really did capture the the imagination during 2012 i also want to talk about snooker before we wrap up but john yeah let let me ask the question to julia and you can ask the snooker question so julia on on that what for what you said getting prominence the fact that paris 2024 next year and france are so good at handball could that actually Mm. help yeah, I think definitely. I think, you know, handball is so ingrained into their kind of sporting culture in France. And I think that if people are able to watch, if in the UK it is available to watch or they're showing more of that um, on terrestrial television or on BBC iPlayer or Eurosport, whoever gets the contract, um, I think that that'll do huge amounts of good and I think also with Paris being such a close venue that hopefully the majority of people who then go and travel for the Olympics that they have more of an opportunity to see handball that it, it's there that the, there will be more tickets available for UK and um, viewers to to see handball but we have a fantastic story about one of the schools in Scotland who they went on a school trip down to the 2012 Olympics. And the only thing that they could get tickets for was handball. So there was one teacher and a group, I think about 20 students, 
aged 12, 13, went down to London 2012 and watched the handball and thought, this is the most fantastic sport we have ever seen. They came straight back to Scotland, started a team, and now they're the biggest youth team here in Scotland through through the school. So it's it's there can be some fantastic stories built um, through just watching handball for the first time because it just gets your imagination as soon as you watch it there's some really brilliant opportunities I think with with Paris coming up it would be good if we could in this country just open our eyes sometimes when we are talking about the Olympics and look at some other Olympic sports Um, we don't talk about football on this podcast but being in Rio Michael and I were in Rio and one of our Olympic moments was going to the Maracanã and watching Neymar score a goal for Brazil and the coverage that you, you you got caught up in the football because you were in Rio. So I think what you're saying, Julia, is right. If we can be in France and there's lots of handball coverage and, and fans get to see it and you, you get a, a bit more coverage of it. But wouldn't it be nice just sometimes if we just showed some other sports that actually were world class and weren't just all about being Great Britain? I, I'll get off my soapbox and I'll let Michael ask the last question. Yeah, so Ewan, you were a professional snooker player for for three and a half years before you obviously entered the world of handball. I mean, just reflect on that period of your life for us and um, and finally wrap up by how near or far are we to, to seeing British, Scottish handball players back at an Olympic Games? Okay, thank you. Uh... 10 out of 10 for your research, Michael. Um, it's way down uh, the bottom of your LinkedIn profile. It, it really is. You have to do a it lot really of scrolling is. to get there. There's, there's people that I have known for years that have never gone that far down my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> so uh, so well done. You know, I did a degree in Scottish history at Glasgow University. And then, as you do, I became a professional snooker player. Um, I had grown up playing snooker. Um, and, um, and the sport opened up. Um, back in the back in the kind of mid nineties, and you know I had to go, but I again I, I I was fortunate in being able to practice and work alongside effectively the very best in the world. I mean I was practicing with John Higgins. Um, John Higgins at the time was world number one, UK champion, world champion. He held virtually every single you know notable crown going, and he and I are. Um, spending a day practicing together and it comes back to that sort of slightly wider point of seeing success and as, as Julia indicated um, earlier the importance of that visibility of sport if you so it's if I can see it I can be it the importance of being able to see that success and see it represented in front of you is just incredibly powerful um, so while Scotland um, had Guy before Stephen Hendry was called Murdo McLeod. He was actually my first ever coach. And then Stephen Hendry, of course, burst onto the scene, arguably the greatest player ever to pick up a cue. Maybe Ronnie, probably in, in terms of natural ability. And I was I was really fortunate in reflecting on all of that experience to to have been around that era. So my era in, in snooker was um, Ronnie O'Sullivan, John Higgins, Alan McManus, Stephen Hendry. Um, uh, and many other players you've never heard of. We hear a lot about the, the taking of lessons from sport into business, um, uh, but very often um, I think uh, that is perhaps not articulated as, as clearly as it might be. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly from my point of view, one of the things that I really learned from sport was that resilience um, and the mental toughness. 
um, they, especially in a, a kind of single sport um, like snooker, where, you know, it's you on the table. You don't have 10 teammates or six teammates, right? <laughs> or 14 teammates. You, you've got you. You may have people in your corner. You may have a, a support network there. Um, but nonetheless, it's you on the table. And much like, you know, I guess uh, Andy Murray or, or, or other, you know, it's, Sports like tennis, where you're, you're that individual person, or um, you know, golf perhaps less so. You've, you've got a caddy who you know is, is actually with you um, on on the course. Um, but uh, as I say, it, from my point of view, learning that resilience um, and that ability to get back up, frankly, um, is one of the things that often is is not talked about enough. Um, so I certainly have done, and my business experience is now twenty five years. I've run businesses uh, across Scotland and further afield um, and um, and you know so to have the opportunity to bring all of that together um, with this post uh, in, in handball um, is, uh, is is fantastic and you know we will continue to try to uh, make sure that the visibility of our sport and the culture that we're trying to grow uh, is embedded so that we you know we not only provide inspiration and, and opportunity for those players um, to represent both Scotland and you know, GB as it stands um, in Olympics and perhaps Commonwealth Games in future, um, but that they, so that young people today can, you know, can turn around and say, well, I could see it, so that's what I could be. Well, Ewan Hunter, CEO of Scottish Handball Association, and Julia Stenhouse, the Operations Manager of the Sports Governing Body of the Year 2022. Thank you very much for joining Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy. Thank you. Thank you. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.